Good morning, everyone. It is great to be with you all. Uh, my name is Nathan Cherney, and thank you, Kiki, for the introduction. And uh, Mission Valley has been uh, another part of the family for my wife, Valerie, and for myself. As when we first came to, to Venice, Free Methodist Church, six years ago, we were uh, thrown right into the, the PCJC and, and with the youth. So we were there when uh, Michael was, you know, not, not too long ago, but Michael was you know, a little shorter and he was in high school and, and remember that there. Um, and some of you remember him when he was younger. But it was a, a great time to, to, to be a part of the middle high, high school, and of course two years ago for your uh, retreat that you had for your church as I was uh, blessed to, to speak to the youth there. And so um, what a, I was honored when Pastor Dave let me know to be able to speak today because of our relationship, and, and it's good to meet you and see you, and for some of you, for the first time. So I'm excited for what the Lord has for us today. And as I was going through and preparing this, I realized that we are being faced in this passage with two questions or two problems that face humanity. Not just one, but two. That these are two situations that we have and probably are dealing with right now. And let me explain that to you. Number one is, the first one is, how to be satisfied regardless of the circumstances. How can I be content when my circumstances are changing? That's one. And we've seen this through COVID, have we not? Our circumstances were taken right away and we had to do life in a new way and are still trying to figure that out. But second, as we'll look at later, is how to be supplied for every need in life. That we're all in a place of need and needing things to fill us. And how is that going to work in our lives? And so I want to go into the first part of that as we'll be in Philippians 4, 10 to 20 today. Realizing that how to be satisfied and content regardless of the circumstances that when we first think about that, it's not, it's not natural to be content. It's not. But quite the opposite. If you've had children or, uh, and, and you've raised them, you, you think of what, what is one of the first words that come out of their mouth? Come on, I know you know it. No. A big, fat N-O. Why is it not yes? I mean, why can't it be yes? It's still one syllable. But it's always no because the, the child wants to do their way or, or he wants more or, or she wants to continue to do what she wants to do. And, and it's not like parents teach them to say no all the time. It's in here. But even as they grow into adulthood, as we all know, discontentment continues as we hear statements or have declared ourselves with things like, if only I could get that job and make more money, then I'd be able to pay more bills or buy this. Or, oh, when am I going to have enough free time to be able to do what I want to do? Or when I meet the one, then I'll feel loved, then I'll feel appreciated. And then when those that are married are like, when is he or she going to listen to me, right? So the problem continues. The void that's left by unsatisfied wants and unfulfilled desires can lead to ambitious striving. All in an attempt to fill that emptiness inside. Instead of loving people and using things, people are used to acquire better or bigger or more things. 
The nagging sense of dissatisfaction can lead a person to pretend to be somebody they're not just to impress their peers. And achievements completed are never enough as the next big mountain to climb is on the horizon, hoping that that will fill the need to be somebody. And so with so much dissatisfaction in the world, even right now as we think about where we're at in a state with COVID still going through, how can I ever be content, right? We feel that? Thankfully, the word of God has an answer. Thank you, Lord. Has all the answers. And as we'll see in Paul's letter to the Philippians, he thanks the church for their generous and voluntary gift while in prison. But then Paul shares what's true contentment is in Philippians. And let me read verses 10 to 12 for you. It says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Did you hear that? I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I don't know about you, but I cannot help but scratch my head when I read that. I'm like, wait, Paul is content even when he's hungry? I mean, I can't even go a few hours and my stomach starts rumbling and, man, I can understand contentment while life is good and everything is, is going great, but when in need? And to think that Paul is chained to a prison guard next to him while he's writing this and he's content? Is that so, Pastor Nathan? Yes, it's possible. It shows for myself, and I can imagine for you, that we need a biblical understanding of what contentment is before we learn how Paul achieved it. Because what we find is that contentment, number one, it must be taught. It has to be taught. As I mentioned before, we, it's not natural. Paul said in verse 11 that, that he learned the secret to being content. And because we're brought up that way and maybe it's part of our disposition, our personality, we've been faced with circumstances, our natural tendency can be to maybe complain, right? Oh, there's no one who can relate to me or you just, the list goes on and on. And not, not that ourselves would ever do this, right? But we know other people that would complain. We're not going to point fingers, right? But there's dissatisfaction with the status quo, so that comes out. We could also covet where we desire to have what someone else has. Instagram makes this so easy because, oh, they seem so happy as we're scrolling because nobody puts up bag pictures of themselves on Instagram. It's always, right, the big, the life is great pictures and hashtag no filter because life is good. But we desire what we see there, what makes them happy because we're comparing that with what we don't have. Another way, a tendency to fall into is just complacency. There's nothing I can do about it. What am I supposed to do? As the person can fall into depression or further. As you can see, our natural tendencies of discontentment make it be a strict, a very tough learning curve for all of us. And this isn't the learning that you get from a classroom setting. Wouldn't it be nice that you just take a course on contentment and then you're good? Wouldn't that be nice? Like, hey, I've passed the test. 
But much like those that uh, go to get their driver's test, if you've only had somebody that's only taken the written portion and passed, does that mean they know how to drive? Ooh, no. Try going on the 405 freeway if you've never had experience. That's where I'm close to. And I'm not recommending to go out there for fun, please. But experience comes through real-life application. It's not just here. And Paul's speaking not just out of head knowledge or a good idea, but what he's been through. And that leads to our second point, is that contentment is not based on your circumstances. This is very difficult. Because a lot of times, happiness is equated when life is good, when things come my way, when I'm at a place that, aha, I've arrived. But remember what Paul went through for the gospel? He mentions a list in 2 Corinthians eleven sixteen to 33. A few of those he mentions is that he's been shipwrecked, not once, but three times. Oh, sleepless nights. He's faced death. He's, uh, he's suffered 39 lashes minus one. I mean, 40 lashes minus one. I'm not sure why they just say 39. But from experiencing the worst of the worst, he realized that happiness is not found in what he goes through. Otherwise, he would have died in his misery, wouldn't he? And contentment is not equated with circumstances, whether that's negative or whether that's positive. Because then we will go to that striving to continue to make things good in our own strength. Contentment is also not having all you want. That's our typical secular definition of contentment. Is I, I, I've had the, I have my spouse, got my two kids, the dog, and the house. I'm content. That's the American dream. Also says that the more you have, the more successful you are. And the more successful you are, the happier you are. So culture assumes that if only you get or if only you have fill in the blank, then you'll be content. Put in there whatever it is. Now this is far from true as the desire for more continues onward because it's actually a problem inward. Otherwise, if this is true, that the more we have and equaling contentment, then America, Americans would be the happiest people on earth because we have the most stuff and we use the most stuff. But actually, I looked this up. It's uh, Finland for the fourth year in a row. And the top five countries all are in places of that cold area, right, of life, which even shows further because I think Iceland's up there, Norway, Finland. It's like, They experience such cold. Their circumstances are not pleasant like California, yet they're happier. So it shows you it's not just having all you want. It's not based on circumstances. But true contentment is being satisfied for what you have and where you are. Contentment is also a process. Paul said he learned the secret, but it wasn't a one-time prayer. It wasn't like how we first came to Christ with that prayer and now we're saved. But he learned it and he put it into practice every day. I cannot bank on the happiness of yesterday to get me through today. I also cannot worry about the future since each day has troubles of its own, as Matthew 6.34 says. Instead, we learn the secrets of contentment that Paul talks about with Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. 
You can repeat that after me. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now, this verse is very popular. If any of you have, have known Christian athletes, or it, it's, it's more of a slogan for motivation to be able to overcome and, and beat the opponent, right? It's, it's like a rah-rah type of verse for, for all Christians. But rather, it's more than that. Yes, it has a victory component to it, but it's actually tied. This verse comes right after what we just learned. It ties into the ability to be content. It's actually the secret. And the secret is that regardless of the circumstances, Paul's joy remains unchanged because he fixes his eyes on the one who never changes, and that is Jesus Christ. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But here's the reality. I can bet on this 100% that trials will come. Anybody ever experienced trials before? Okay, all of you should have your hands up. That was a test. John 16, Jesus said, trials will come, but take heart. I have overcome the world, but trials will come. And with that sometimes is disappointment. Sometimes it's discouragement. Sometimes it's disillusionment, discontentment. And I know for myself personally and for Valerie, we've experienced this in a way as we've, when we first got married, we said, all right, there's a set time. We're ready to have some kids. And, you know, like, okay, that should be easy. Well, some months go by and some years go by. And there's struggle in that. There's difficulty. Discontentment can easily come when your expectations of what you think should be don't line up with reality. Right? They're different. And each month can be a reminder that it's not what you're hoping for, not what God has put in your heart, not what the promise that God has for you. And sometimes it's worse for her, sometimes for me, sometimes for both. But the real test in the midst of that is not even getting what we want. The real test, which goes with contentment, is can we praise God while we wait for the promise? Can we worship while we wait? And I cannot be like Paul and say, I've learned the secret. I'm still in the process of learning the secret. But through that, while it's not easy, we want to be content knowing that Christ is greater than more than what he can give us, to focus on the giver more than the gift. And I realize that while your situation may be different, we're all waiting for something, are we not? That there's a place where the Lord is seeing, can we be willing to focus on him and not the circumstances that can so easily put our eyes on and distract us because even the good even those desires that we have are good things but can we be content and trust and wait on the lord because the secret of contentment is not saying that you will never experience hardships or dissatisfaction but what you do when it comes 
You don't stay in those feelings. You give it to the one who cares. And just a few points about that. That when we come into this place of learning the secret and wanting to be content, first we should be thankful for what we do have rather than focusing on what we don't. When we start focusing on what others have, that's where the dissatisfaction, the desire to have not even what they have, but what we should have for ourselves in that similar situation, discontentment can come. But remembering everything I have is a blessing from God. Everything. Even the air I breathe. Even more so with our health. And remember, giving thanks in all circumstances is part of God's will for your life. First Thessalonians 5.23, that if we want to follow God's will, it says that we are to give thanks to God in all circumstances. But also, if we're tempted to be discontented, immediately give it to God. Don't, hold, don't, don't dwell with it. Give it to Him. Because we are supposed to come to Him when life is grand or when we're going through the grind. Your Heavenly Father says to ask, seek, and knock, and that door will be answered. And that God gives good gifts to His children. Amen? And enjoy and experience Christ. That was what Paul did through this, that that he said earlier in in chapter 1, verse 21, that to live is Christ, that Christ was everything to him. He set his eyes on Jesus. Everything he did, including his accomplishments that he did before, was compared as a loss. It was rubbish, comparing to knowing Jesus Christ as Lord, Philippians 3, 7 through 8. And Paul has done some incredible things. But none of that matters comparing to knowing Christ. So putting Christ first as the focal point and letting everything flow from there is how we can be content knowing that everything comes from him. And if we feel that we're not in that place and we're prone to busyness or distractions, then we might just need to reevaluate if Christ is centered or if we've got off a little bit to the right or to the left. Because the reality is you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. We receive that. When you are weak, he will give you the power necessary to carry on. When you feel stuck, he will give you the solution to break through or the resolve to wait until the opportune time. And when you feel empty inside, he will fill you. Because as 1 Timothy 6, 6-7 says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. That we get more than even what we're requesting when we have contentment because we are also becoming like the character of Jesus in godliness. But we still have our second question. We looked at contentment and what that looks like and the secret, but what about the solution to being supplied for every need in life? Because Philippians 4.19, you may have heard this one too. There's a lot of famous verses here. Where it says this, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. That's a powerful statement. Did you hear that? My God will meet all your needs according to his riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And you may see how that can tie to being dissatisfied as well, that that my needs are not met, so I'm discontented. But think about the various needs that we have. We can have, let's just say, financial, even in terms of saving. Whatever stage of life you're in, we should be saving. 
right? You could save for a car, save for a college fund for your kid. You may be the place where you're saving for a house. Just don't go on the west side for that one. Be saving for retirement because you're at that stage of life. Those, those are a need. We can think of financial. We can think of relational. Maybe a, a, a need to be, to be heard, understood, loved, cherished. This could be friends, family, spouse. There's a need for significance to make a difference in the world, a desire that God has put in your heart that you are to do for the kingdom of God that may look different than anyone else that only you can do. And even our most basic needs, food, water, shelter. There's a lot of needs out there. So is Paul saying this? Is Paul saying that I'm going to make a list of 282 needs and I'm going to put them all out there and Lord, it says that you're going to satisfy and you are going to meet all my needs. So the more I put out there, the more you're going to give me. And so if I have a million dollars and that's a need, I'm going to get that? Yeah, that's what I want. Is that what Paul's saying? Please say no. No, that would be prosperity gospel. Right? That's not what Paul's saying. But how, if that's not what Paul's saying, how could Paul stand on this promise for the Philippians? Because that is a declarative statement. That is a, a, doesn't say, my God will meet some of your needs. My God will meet the big needs. My God will meet your basic needs. It says all your needs. How can he be so certain then? Well, I'll tell you the solution. We have to look at the context right before that and what the Philippian church and who they were and what they did. It's all because they were givers. That's right. They gave. That's the solution. Let's look at that. Philippians 4, 14 to 16, Paul goes in and says, Yes, it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. So here's what we have. Paul, knows this, Paul has the secret to being content in all things. And he's also putting this together that he knows a solution for them to have all their needs be met. Because Paul has seen the power of giving in his own life. And he's overjoyed that finally the Philippian church have got it, right? Because he's only said this to this church. And if you've ever, if you have children and finally that they go from knowing about something, and that could be even knowing Christ, to living that out, how joyous are you that your kids finally got something that you told them, right? And you're like, yeah, I've been still telling my adult children for 40 years, right? But it's exciting that they got it because they're living it out. That's how Paul is here. As a church planter, as a proud father of this church, he sees them getting it as more of a blessing than him receiving the gift. And we see in verse 17, he says, Not that I sought the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Because this is not going for himself, but as verse 18, it was a fragrant offering. This is acceptable and pleasing to God, not just to Paul. He has a heart for them and knowing that what this is doing for their relationship with the Lord individually and as a church. And we can remember there's so much on giving. 
oh, Jesus talked about finances and giving all over, but just briefly, Acts 20 in verse 35, they say, remember the words of the Lord Jesus where he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And why is that? Well, for one, God, giving is how God demonstrates his love for us. What's the most famous verse in the Bible? What is it? That's right, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So the, the act of giving in that sacrificial way was, is who God is. And we are created in that image. So we are meant to be givers. But giving also proves that we trust God, right? It's, uh, we put, it puts our money where our mouth is, let's just say. And so here's, our, here's where I'm getting at here. We have these two statements that seem like they don't go together. We all have needs, right? There's the internal and hidden ones that maybe we don't share with anybody. And then there's the, the obvious ones that people maybe can help us. But we all have needs, whatever that is. And then this other statement is that we should all be givers. So how do those two be reconciled? Because it almost sounds contradictory that in order to have my needs be met, for God to supply all my needs, I have to give. Well, we have to look at, to reconcile this, we have to look at the kind of giving the church of Philippi did for us today. For one, they gave sacrificially. They were not wealthy benefactors and said, oh, we're going to support Paul because he was our founder and we have this extra money because we sold a piece of property. They were giving out of their own need. And we look at 2 Corinthians 8 as a glimpse where Paul's writing to a different church, but he's so proud of this church of Philippi that he can't help but brag on them in 2 Corinthians and that they have an example here for us to learn from. He says this in 2 Corinthians 8, 1-2, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy, and their extreme poverty welled up into rich generosity. So they're giving out of lack. They're giving out of poverty. And Philippi is part of that Macedonian church. And Philippians 4.15 says, No other church gave but the church of Philippi. Hmm. But we see they also gave generously. 2 Corinthians 8.3, For I testify they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability. I don't know what that looks like. That they gave as much as they were able in poverty, but then also maybe they took a collection. How do you go beyond what you're able, right? But it goes with whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. 2 Corinthians 9.6. Remembering that in this way, God's economy is different than ours. We're rational, logical creatures. One plus one equals two. So when we think, I give 100, hopefully 100 comes back to me. Right? But that's not how it works with the Lord at all. 
And if you've ever been a recipient of being blessed, you know that many times that's, that's not how it works. And for good reason. God sees all and his, his kingdom economy accommodates us in different ways. Its values and methods do not equate to how we would view it. So we may sow into a missionary and what God does is that we reap a household of peace. How many of us want peace right now in our lives? Amen? Maybe it's to sow into a ministry and it, we reap that we are protected from the enemy trying to take our health. Now, this doesn't mean it's exactly this equals that. That's up for the Lord to decide. But we're at least in this process as we look at Philippians that giving is a way of opening up for the blessing of the Lord to come back to us as we'll go into more. We see that they're giving with sacrificial that they gave sacrificially, generously, and willingly. Second Corinthians eight four. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service of the Lord's people. Wow. Paul didn't say, "Hey, I'm going to set up a a plan for you to give to me." They did it themselves, entirely on their own. They pleaded to give. Wow. And God does love a joyful giver. And they also gave consistently, as Philippians 4.16 says, that even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. That when Paul was working at another church, they gave to him when he was at that church. And that church he had to labor for. He didn't say to the Thessalonians that, um, that they were giving to him. So it was a blessing but consistently reveals the intentionality of care and support, does it not? It shows that I support you, I care for you, I love you. But it also exercises your faith muscles. I know that before the pandemic, I was at least semi-regular at the gym. Now, I'm like, I got really skinny. I do the, I don't get, I, I lose muscle. So I, under, I wish it could be that I would go to the gym three weeks ago and, and people would be like, wow, you look a lot bigger. I'd be like, yeah, well, I really hit the gym hard three weeks ago. Wouldn't that be great? But that's not how it works. And it's the same way with faith. We can't just look back at something that happened years ago, but we exercise our faith. That's how we grow our muscles. Same thing with giving. Same thing with spiritual disciplines. That it exercises the ability to be able to receive what God has for us as we give to others who might be in need. And through all this giving, Paul says, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So since the Philippians were godly givers, here's what Paul's saying. You helped me, but my God shall supply you. You've helped me, and for some of you, that's out of deep poverty. I understand. But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. And according to this context, what does that mean for us? That this is a promise for givers, not for non-givers. Yes, we can be blessed in a variety of ways, that the sun and the rain shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. It doesn't matter you're saved. God can give incredible things there's also the the gift of salvation and there's things that we because we're God's children he will give to us but this is that next level 
This is the, the meeting the supply for our needs and that we want to bless and look for ways in those four different ways of being sacrificial, generous, willing, and consistent to do so. As I want to look for opportunities to bless others and give with the heart the Philippians have, God will meet all my needs. My needs. I may not know how. I may not know when. I, know may, I may not know through who, but I know God will. God will supply that somehow to me. There was a friend that, who, um, who felt a, a, a burden and an, an encouragement, actually, to, to give to particularly a ministry that was just starting up. And it was a certain amount that seemed pretty large, but he gave accordingly, and it was hard, but he did because the Lord prompted him. Interestingly enough, and this would be through his testimony, what he put together, that that year he was promoted three times. I was like, really? And he equates that with the Lord challenging him to give as now he realizes, wow, that wasn't a big amount now, but it was then. You see, he's exercising his faith. He was obedient and the Lord rewarded him. Now, the temptation as humans right now, as you're thinking, is to say, wow, does that mean if I do this, that this will come? No. (laughs) We cannot rely on the method since God moves accordingly to each person. Instead, we rely on the giver who meets our needs personally. And this goes with Jesus' words in Luke 6.38, that give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running, running over will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So we've all received freely from God, and out of that sense of receiving, we have the honor to give. And we break down that phrase of, and my God will meet all your needs. It says every need, all need. But rightfully so, it doesn't say all our wants. So there's a broad determination which needs is not defined, but then there's also a restrictive portion that it doesn't go into wants. And, and it's important to remember this, that God determines what a need is, not our culture, and not what we want, right? I remember last year I, I had... Oh, and if any of you have ever had electronic problems, this is always just a horrible situation. But I had a laptop that I've used for so such a long time, and I don't know why I placed it in this in this way, but it was only this high off the ground, and it fell, and I opened up the screen. Guess what I saw? The screen was starting to like get black and leaking. I'm like, no, my MacBook Pro. Thankfully, I hurried up and and got everything on the cloud, and now I can only see certain portions because it's blocked by that black area, and I'm trying to move it over, but I got it done, and I thought I was, oh, man, Lord, I need you to meet my need now. This MacBook Pro, I need something else right now. Well, I felt like the Lord wanted me to wait. Ah, the fruit of the Spirit is (laughs) self-control. I'm working on that one. Needed to wait. That if I went and bought another one, that would be foolish. Realizing through that, that the Lord was showing me what is a need and what I've thought was a need. 
that I was able to use another uh, laptop from the church to borrow that. And interestingly enough, I was able to adapt and work through things that I, that I usually do that until yesterday evening, I got a new laptop <laughs> that was at an incredible price from a friend who, and it is a MacBook Pro. And saying, wow, I saved so much money over this time because I didn't run out and do something that I thought was a need, but relied on the Lord so that he would supply my need in a way that is what I want and at an incredible price, thanks to this friend. And so we realize that our needs maybe are not as need, uh, I was going to say the word needful, as we think. But there's also the other part that God will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 34, 7. I like that one. I'm going to start thinking up of all these desires, right? But how does God give me the desires of my heart? Is it like I said earlier, we write a list? No, it's, it's this. Like as we pursue more of Christ, our desires become God's desires. And some of us have had some of those godly desires within us for a long time and we're waiting. I get that. But sometimes your desires can change because to accomplish what he has for the future. And to come back to our story of of Valerie and I in our waiting process, we saw God exactly do that. That if it wasn't for us waiting for children, that we would have never seen what God wanted to do in the midst of that waiting period which it's a long story, don't have time to, to fully tell you that, I could tell you privately, but God spoke to both of us individually and it was a confirmation to us together about fostering. And so we had two little girls in March, one for a day and then one for three weeks, which yes, that's heart-wrenching, it's definitely tough, but it was such a blessing as a new desire was burst out of what we thought was lack out of what we thought was discontentment in a situation that the Lord is saying, while you wait, I want you to bless others because that's still part of your heart, which is to see people be loved by me through you. Not just for your own, but for others. And so God can do that for you in different ways in your desires. Because here's what we know. It's according to Christ's riches. It's not according to Uh, The person that ties the most, it's not uh, according to anyone else. It's according to God's riches. And God gives from an unlimited supply. We can't forget that. That the Lord says very clearly in Psalm 50, 12, that the earth and everything in it is mine. So when we're asking the Lord, we don't need to go like we did if we were younger and asking our parents, like, I don't know, but will you be able to do this? Because I'm not sure the money's tight right now. God's not going to be like, well, I'm looking at my heavenly bank account. I don't know if I could do that for you. No, God wants us to come and ask and is delighted to give because it gives glory to him. He is full of supply. He doesn't have limitations. If anything, we place the limitations on thinking how he will do it and if you can do it. But God gives also beyond our expectations. I love Ephesians three twenty to 21. Now to him, to Christ, who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that has worked within us, to him be the glory in the church and Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. 
And that's the, the hope that we have in knowing that as we do what we can to respond and to look at that as a way that we don't even give so that we could get, but we, but we give so that God could get the glory, that we know that he will supply all our needs. And just as a, a final story to, to wrap this up, that there was a time in right before Venice where I was able to experience this in a, in a profound way. As, as I grew up in California, but there was a time I, I was at a church in Texas for a little bit. And the crazy part about all this was that Valerie and I were engaged. So she was here in California. I'm preparing the way in Texas. I'm like, come on over, y'all. I'm getting it ready for you. I'm fixing to get some dinner, right? And they, they really say these things. So, um, but long story short, the, the Lord had different plans and said, you've passed the test. You're going back to California. So my first question was, what test? <laughs> what? But the Lord made it very clear. But guess what my next focus is on? How am I going to, Lord, what's the next job? My needs need to be met because we're going to get married in two months, three months. This is not ideal for everybody, Okay. And realizing that and giving her, Valerie, the, the, um, how she was able to have faith in me and listening to the Lord in that was huge. But the Lord provided in such incredible ways in that I had an impression to be able to tell somebody I normally don't talk to, especially about these things, about to just tell them about what I'm doing and that's it. And I'm like, Lord, that's weird. 30 seconds later, that person messaged me, whoa. The Lord knew I was going to chicken out on that one. So I do, I tell them, not asking for anything, and that person says, God is good, I'm paying for all your moving costs. I'm like, whoa. And here's how you know it's another incredible thing, is that there's two months before the wedding, each month I get a check in the mail. And the miracle is one was from the state of California, paying me <laughs> something about taxes. And not, not me paying them, but me paying me. I don't know what happened. The other one was some, I worked at a restaurant and I got some money back, some lawsuit. And I'm like, Lord, you knew. Now, it's all my needs, right? All my bills are paid. It wasn't my wedding was paid for, okay? Just as a note. But it showed that the Lord was present in there because trusting him that he will provide for all my needs. And the next thing you know, is I'm signing the contract for Venice Church on our honeymoon. And that's how we came into the conference. But I want to say this for everyone because I realize we're all in different places and we're all in needs. And he's able to meet all your needs abundantly, precisely, and personally. And that when we are fully satisfied with our circumstances and fully supplied according to our needs, God gets the glory. Or we can say how Paul wrote it in Philippians 4.20, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we, we're so thankful that you are so good. And in this time, as I've just mentioned, realize that we are all in a state of need and there's areas where we can feel discontent. It's not easy trying to navigate through circumstances of COVID, 
politics. Oh, the list goes on. How we should do things, our health, and all this and to glorify you. Lord, I just ask that you would meet us right now. That you'd meet us in a way that is personally, precisely, and abundantly as you would have that. You know, actually, if all of you, if you can be able to stand right now, I want to really go into a time of just receiving as an application for the sermon. And then if you just have your hands out in front of you, like this, this is a receiving position. And I just want to pray specifically over you. Lord, it's hard to be content. And as each person has their hands out, I realize that for some, they've been waiting for a long time. Lord, you know their deepest needs and their desire. And I pray that you would give them a renewed sense of strength as they wait. And as you are holding out your hands, I want you to envision what that is that you're waiting for, what that is that has brought discontent. It could be a thing, it could be a person, it could be hopes, it could be dreams, whatever that is right now, because yes, there needs to be restoration if we feel like there's brokenness. Yes, there needs to be desires to be met so that we can be able to glorify you, Lord. We want to say yes to the things that you're doing in our heart and in our lives. And so we put that thing in front of you, Lord. And if we've had trouble with that, we say, Lord, here, help me. Help me wait on you well. Help me worship you even if this isn't here yet. And let me trust you that you are going to help me through this. That you will possibly give me that desire. Or if so, you can give me something better. Because you're beyond my expectations. And you're always doing a new thing in me because I am your child. And so, Lord, I pray for each one here, for my Mission Valley family, that you would meet them right now, give them a word, give them something that they can cling on to in this very moment to help them go from faith to faith because you are transforming them from glory to glory, not from sorrow to sorrow not from trouble to trouble, but from glory to glory, and that you're doing incredible things in each person. And if there's any distractions in the way of that, and maybe that's what's in front of us, is that that it can be a distraction, that you would remove that in the name of Jesus so that you would be glorified for who you are and for what you're worth, for what you've done for us, Lord. Let us remain focused on who you are. As Paul said, his eyes were focused so that he can continue to run the race. So we give that to you, Lord, and I put myself included in there. Oh, there's still things that I'm waiting for, Lord. And I know my brothers and sisters too, but we come together in agreement, believing that you are going to meet us because my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a hand for he is good. Thank you, Lord.